We're looking forward to what Pastor Dan has for us about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks to Jeremiah and Melissa. Oh, it's an exciting day today, isn't it? Great to be a saint. Hello, saints. You're holy and blameless in his sight. Mm, power of the blood of Jesus. Wonder-working power. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're holy and blameless in his sight. Yeah, it's cool. We're going <laughs> to pray for teachers. We have about we have a half, half a dozen of us teach in the public school system. And, and we have about a half a dozen parents that do homeschooling. So would you agree with me for the school year and for them? Lord Jesus, we pray for all of our teachers. We pray that you give them strength, wisdom, Psalm 1, blessing. Everything they're doing is prospering because they're planted by rivers of living water, who is Jesus, and homeschooling parents as well. God, what a treasure, what an opportunity to impart blessing to young lives. We pray for all the schools in the cities of Southern Oregon and America and the world for safety and angel protection this year. In Jesus Christ's name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, I've got a couple things that, in my opinion, are funny. Every year, the monk in the monastery... Um, the, monk in the, the monks in the monastery are allowed to break their vow of silence to speak, but with just two, two words in this one monastery. So the first year goes by, and it's, it's this uh, one monk's first chance to speak. He thinks for a second, then, then says these two words, food bad. Very thoughtful, edifying comment. One year later, the vow of silence continues. He, he knows exactly what he wants to say. Bed hard. A third year goes by and the monk is fully ready for his two-word declaration. He gives the head monk a long stare and says these two words. I quit. <laughs> and the head monk says back to him, well, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Every... Ever since you got to this monastery, all you've ever done is complain, complain, complain. <laughs> My dear wife, Brenda, sent me this uh, next one. I don't know if she's trying to communicate something to me or what, but I have to find out about that. She says, uh, today I was struggling to get my wife's attention. The husband says, today I was struggling to get my wife's attention, so I sat down on the sofa and looked comfortable. That did the trick. <laughs> okay. This is not a joke. It's just interesting to me that this guy comes home from church and tells his wife, that was such, it was such an amazing sermon today. She says, what was that about? What was good? What did you like? I don't remember, but it was really good. <laughs> Maybe you've had that experience. 
But you've probably also had the experience where you can look back over your life as a Christian, whether it's been a year or 60 years or more, where just a phrase or two of a certain sermon just has always come back to you and it has released life to you down through the years, down through the months, down through the weeks. Even just a phrase or a concept or a thought still ministers to your soul. I have a sermon like that. I was 22 years old, recently married, recently started teaching uh, 7th, 8th, and ninth graders Bible. Clark County Christian School in Vancouver, Washington. And that summer after my first year of teaching and just a few months being married, Brenda and I went on a bit of a vacation. She was with child. And uh, we went to World Map Camp. It was in Newburgh, Oregon at uh, George Fox University. And Brian Bailey, a prophet teacher with World Map Camp, was one of the Holy Spirit charismatic powerful camps with Ralph Mahoney. Some of you may remember those days. Brian Bailey preached a sermon that uh, basically essentially said, if you have a calling to be a teacher, just know that God is working circumstances through the circumstances, the blessings, and the difficulties of your life to prepare you as a message so that the message is not just what speaks out of your mouth, but the message is you. And I never forgot that. I thought about it through thick and thin, through great joys and through great challenges down through the years. I've, I remembered that. God doesn't send the, He just sends the blessings, but he works everything after the counsel of his will, good and bad, to release our amazing inheritance in Jesus and to, and to use it in all of us in our teaching capacity, and whether you have a, a, a teaching anointing, gifting, or whether, uh, well, we all do, actually, at some level. Uh, Book of Hebrews says we're all called to be teachers, whether it's one-on-one or with our children, grandchildren. We all are constantly communicating wisdom and truth from God's word and the anointing of the Spirit in our world. That's part and parcel of who we are in God. Well, I say that to introduce the topic today, that when we're talking about Jesus and communicating Jesus, we're not just, in our lives, communicating concepts and truths about Jesus. We're actually imparting Jesus to people, imparting the presence, vitality, beauty, revelation of the, through the Holy Spirit of Jesus to people. We are taking the hand of Jesus and putting them in the hand of Jesus, taking the hand of somebody and putting them together, and Jesus and them do the rest. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift that he's called us to. I want to submit to you a basic premise that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in their 4.0 surround sound, quadrasonic, if you're over 60. They speak Jesus to us. They herald the person of Jesus to us. And their revelation of Jesus didn't come as the Mormon 
church indicates the Book of Mormon comes to them through angels, bad angels in reality, or directly from Allah dictating word for word. But the message of Jesus comes to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John uniquely in their own life journey, in their own personality, in their own traumas and tragedies and successes and blessings. There is a message formed through them and in them that is released and it becomes the word of God to you and to me. Just like Jesus is fully man and fully God, God designed in his word for the writers of the, every author of every book in the Bible, they're a message in and of themselves because of his work in their lives. And out of that emanates a message that is articulated through their words and their writing that has a unique, a unique flavor and impact to us to meet our need. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the same. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we're right in the middle. And as we expose our minds and our hearts to their teaching in this revelation of Jesus, we hear a surround sound of the person and personality of the one who has infinite kindness, infinite truth, infinite wisdom, infinite abundant life, imparting to our deepest souls and spirits, and bodies, and we're shaken with grace by their message. Because it's not just words about Jesus, there's an impartation of him everywhere we turn, whatever direction we turn. Matthew's redemption story is significant. Hated by his own people, where his own people's opinions mattered as a tax collector, Jesus says two words to him. Follow me. He believes it all and follows him. What a moment. And Matthew, this Matthew, who rejected God's people for the sake of monetary gain, rejected the promises of the Bible, is drawn to Jesus, irresistibly. Jesus is a magnet to him directly and through the Bible. There's over, as Matthew writes his book, there's over 100 references or allusions to the Bible, up to that, the Bible that's been written up to that point. Matthew, in his Personal trauma, loneliness, gets the deepest possible solace. During the three years he walked with Jesus and the 60 or so years after that, deep personal solace and help and blessing and revelation a display of the wonder and the beauty of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords 
through reading the Bible. And he writes it out, out and he gives this to us for the same benefit. Do you remember how your hunger for the word grew? I do. When I came to Christ, I had read the Bible before. And I... I never knew what I... I didn't know what I was fully getting into when I heard that invitation to get baptized in our 50-member church from our old retired pastor, Pastor Orville, this year. Anyone that wants to get baptized, next Sunday we're going to baptize anybody at Salmon Creek. So next Sunday afternoon, I, I just knew i got to do this. I had no idea what journey I would start on. I just had a little appetizer that good things were ahead and that I was repenting and putting my faith in Jesus, but I didn't know the good things that would unfold. But I remember this thinking to myself, well, I don't need to read the Bible because I've already read it. But then I was told after I experienced Jesus at my baptism, like I'd never experienced him before. There was a revelation of him in a way that it was like I drew on my past. Oh, yeah. I I did kind of know him. I did sort of hear his voice over the years. But now I'm his and he's mine. And someone told me I should read the Bible, and so I started reading. Anyway, even though I knew it all. (laughs) And you know what happened? I tasted like Matthew did, and I saw that the Lord is good. And I discovered that when when J.I. Packer says the Bible is God preaching, he's not preaching This is what you ought to do. It's more like, hey, welcome, I invite. You sure you want to do that? Go ahead and try it. You're not going to like it. And the truths and the realities of the word were not so much a, this is what you've got to do to be a good boy, but an invitation to an abundant life. As, you, as I align myself with this, these words that I speak to you, says Jesus, are spirit and life. As I allow the word of God, like Matthew, to pour over my soul. There's a supernatural impartation of life. And as I align myself with those truths in, those, in, the, in the presence of Jesus... Wow, shaken by grace over and over and over again. Then there's Mark. Mark's emphasis, Mark's revelation had to do with serving. You read Matthew, all this about the Bible. Prophecies about Jesus over and over again. It, it is written. It is written. It is written. Mark. <clears throat> the first part of Mark. It's all about serving. Jesus serving. Jesus serving people. Shock of all shocks. In a world where all the pagans are serving their gods to keep to placate them and keep them away. 
the call of God, of, of Jesus, is not to, not to, not only not to serve him to keep him away, so to leave us alone, placate him, and it's not even, the emphasis is not even for us to serve him per se. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, Jesus says. But the call of God is to be among those that have the courage, to have the courage to be among those that to believe that God has a singular passion and that's to serve you. Jesus is portrayed in Mark's gospel as the servant of people. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And in Mark's gospel, he serves in teaching. He serves in time after time and time after time after time in tireless, relentless healing, encouragement, blessing, affirming, helping, comforting. And someone said the book of Mark is really just all about the cross with a lengthy introduction. He serves by his cross. And the message of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, Paul later says. But to us who are saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. Something about the message of the cross of Jesus the suffering servant of God, who drew all, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Yes, it does mean if we lift him up in praise, but first and foremost, it means if he's lifted up on the cross, there is something that is in the spirit realm totally shaken, totally I, I can't come up with words for it. There's something about the cross of Jesus that is the avenue of every single blessing that he imparts to you in his resurrection presence. It's the blood of Jesus. Power, power, power. And the wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Matthew, about... God, and, and all these things, all these passions I'm talking about, Matthew's passion for the Bible and experiencing Jesus and the Word. You know, Mark's passion is serving. And you know, what he does is he has Jesus, uh, you know, if Jesus was here in the flesh, he'd be tying my shoe right now. I'd say, no, Lord. And he says, if I don't tie your shoe, you have no part in me. But Mark also makes a pretty big deal about the revelation. This, this may be one of the most important things I say today, so listen. Mark also makes a very strong point that in, your, um, in our serving of Jesus, and as sons, as friends, you just try and not serve Jesus once you get a revelation of him being your friend. You just try it sometime. You try to resist the compulsion to serve and love him after you get a revelation that you have best friend status with, with Jesus and that he is deeply committed to continually serving you through his word, through his deeds, and through his cross. 
that his primary attitude towards you, his primary feeling towards you, is I just want to, what I'm looking for today is to serve Bonnie. Jesus wakes up and says that, if he were to wake up. If he didn't need, if he, if he needed sleep. And it wasn't helping people on the other side of the world while we're sleeping. <laughs> or helping us in our own sleep. You just try not to serve him. See how that goes for you. I, I uh, want to offer you a challenge. I want to know about it if you can do it. If you can resist serving him once you have a revelation of his kindness. Okay, when we serve him, bam, increase revelation. Every, have you ever, think about your own journey. Have you ever been prompted to serve somebody else because the Holy Spirit prompted you to do that? When you did that and obeyed that prompting, what happened to you experientially? Did you get an increased revelation of the person and presence of Jesus in you? Did it make you want to say to yourself, I got to find someone else to serve because that was wild. That was awesome. I like feeling close to Jesus like this. It's not that I'm doing good and serving in order and points. It just has to do with being a disciple of Jesus and partnering with him Partnering with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is still serving people with his word, with his miracles, and with his cross. And he says, come along, Mickelson. Let me take your hand. You can come along. And I'm gonna, I, want, I, want, I want to work with you. I, I have the joy of working with you to do this stuff. And it is such a trip. It is such a meaningful trip to do this kind of stuff with him. Talk about fulfillment in life. Talk about a soul's satisfaction. You've heard me quote Henry David Thoreau when he said, most people live out their life in a kind of quiet desperation. And if you've ever experienced a sort of a, I'm just not happy, I'm not satisfied, there's something deeply wrong. I've got to find something to fulfill my life. You're normal because God wired you to serve with Jesus the people he brings into your life. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's preparing good works for you and for me. Billions of years ago, prepared the good works you will do today and he's preparing you, making you fully adequate for what he's called you to do in good works today, whether it's some kind of ministry that you've been working on for years Or it's random opportunities in the moment. Jesus often ministered most effectively to his interruptions. Serving, that's Matthew, that's uh, Mark. There's a learning curve for Mark. Remember, first missionary journey with Paul and his cousin Barnabas? Mark's gung-ho young guy maybe just a teenager, going on a short mission trip. 
Short-term mission, hallelujah. I'm ready. I can do this. Faces difficulties, goes crying home to mama. Wants to re-up for another one on the second missionary journey. Paul says, no way, man. Not after you messed with us so bad last time. You didn't come through. You weren't faithful. Barnabas says, okay, I think he should go, but I, I really think he should go. I think he has potential. I'm going to take him and go to Cyprus. You go ahead and go bless the churches we ministered to last time. So they split up, had two different groups out of it. So what happened with Mark? There was a learning curve. The more he, he himself served, and that's why I think he had this passion related to serving and the revelation of Jesus that comes to him through serving. <clears throat> yep, Barnabas on Cyprus. Later on, in First uh, Peter, well, later on, the Apostle Paul says in, uh, in his writings to Timothy, hey, bring Mark with you. He's, he's really helpful to me. So you kind of get the impression that Mark improved in his serving, and he and, he and Paul, Paul really values his ministry, you know, 30 years later. So there's a learning curve there. And Peter himself, he talks about my son Mark. And do you know what uh, early church historians tell us about Mark's gospel? Now, don't let your eyes glaze over because I'm going to give you a little church history. If your neighbor is prone to have their eyes glaze over when I start talking about church history, just, hey, this is going to be good. Have faith for this. This guy named Papias in 125 AD says that Mark in his gospel collated all that Peter preached for the last 30 years. Not necessarily in, so Mark's not necessarily in, even in the order that Jesus did stuff. He wasn't trying for that. He was just trying to get down on papyrus what Peter had been preaching. And he's preaching it for, he's sharing it, he's writing it for Gentiles. He's always having these little explanations about Jewish culture in Mark's gospel. He's not writing for Jews like Matthew was. He's writing for Gentiles. And there's Latinisms. There's, there's uh, Greek spelling for Latin words. Where did they speak Latin? Rome, where Peter spent his last days. So it could very well be that as Emperor Nero was about to start his mass uh, annihilation of Christians in Rome, Peter being among them, that Peter says to Mark, hey, get it down on paper, get it down on papyro, we don't want this lost if we're taken out. And so Mark writes for Romans. And it's really cool how he does it in the Greek because it's very fast-moving. You'll see it repeatedly as you read Mark's gospel. And immediately, Jesus did this. And immediately, and immediately, and immediately. And it's in the present tense. It doesn't say... Jesus went down to the river. It says, Jesus goes down to the river, and then he heals this guy. It's, always, it's all present tense. It's, it just puts you right in the present, and that was the, what the Roman mind needed more than 
um, a lot of Jewish culture being part of it. What I'm saying about that is that Mark had a unique calling to serve by writing, and he had a learning curve in becoming a servant, but he had the most tremendous joy in his, his revelation of Jesus was about Jesus serving and the joy of him as a friend of Jesus serving other people. And the Apostle Paul echoes it. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church, I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partakers of it with you. So what the Apostle Paul is saying in the way he serves is that he's just is trying to get people saved, which is the ultimate expression of kindness and love to anybody is to help them get saved. I do this for the gospel's sake. Why? So I can be a partaker of the gospel more fully myself. It's in serving that we have awareness, revelation, impartation of the wonder and the beauty, the majesty of our, of our wonderful Jesus. So Mark's learning curve, he started out in Mark's gospel as a young man who in the Garden of Gethsemane, scholars tell us he was likely the one where the soldiers grabbed him and took his robe and he wiggled out of his robe and ran away naked. And that's not something you would soon forget. And so he includes it in his book. No reason anybody else would need to include it, but it's part of his testimony. <laughs> he got away. But he moved from a let me out of here mindset to Jesus Christ is my best friend. I want to serve him the rest of my life. And revelation comes through serving. Now that, then there's Luke. 4.0 surround sound. You know what Luke's thing is? He's a medical doctor, right? You know, the early church history tells us he was an artist. He lived in Antioch. He lived to be 84 years old. He lived single his whole life. He had a calling just to... You know, when you're married, you have two priorities. Your your God and your spouse. If you're single, you have two priorities. Your God and your God. Luke went full on for God his whole life. But you know, as a medical doctor, I think this is so cool. You know, you've heard the phrase, God sometimes offends the mind so that he can have your heart and your spirit. Luke, his gospel is the highest Greek uh, Hebrews and Luke's gospel are the highest Greek, most educated Greek in all the New Testament. So here you have a medical doctor, really smart, obsessed with details, and uh, he's a full-on Pentecostal. 
He's not from behind the tra- other side of the tracks sort of a guy. You know, it was just the street outpouring started out with the poorest people. And for six, 50, 50 years, 55 years, it was just the poorest echelons of society that valued the Holy Spirit. They didn't try to keep it secret from other people, but they, other, other levels of society, but it's just how it went. And then in the early 60s, the charismatic movement came and it hit every single lever, social echelon of, of, of society in the USA and globally. Well, Luke was already, he beat us. Luke was already in the highest level of society and was a full-on Pentecostal. He talks about the Holy Spirit more than anybody. More than anybody. And I'm just, I'm not even, I'm my first point yet, but Relax. I'm going to start my first point some other time. I'm just giving you the introduction. John, Luke's emphasis, emphasis on the Holy Ghost. Man, he just likes the power. Over and over again. I, I'm about to share a couple of verses. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. His father, John's father, Zechariah, John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Simeon in, uh, in the temple, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the power of the Lord was present to heal. Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? Be- behold, I send you the promise of my Father, Jerusalem. You will tarry in Jerusalem till you're endued with power. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you, grasp, uh, would you agree with me that he, had, uh, he was obsessive, compulsive about the Holy Spirit? Yet he was a medical doctor. I just love that. He was willing to have his mind offended. He's the one that introduced the writings about speaking in tongues. Okay, John's Gospel. I mean, we conclude with this in our introduction. But I'm going to talk about more of this later, another day. John is obsessed with intimacy with Jesus, eternal life. John teaches us that Jesus is revealed to us in the eternal life he continually gives to us. A spiritual and emotional intimacy is what John's about. Again, I'm going to unpack all this, but I'm just introducing it right now. I just want to say this. Augustine said that in the, in the 4th century, he wrote that John's gospel, a child can wade in it, and an elephant can swim in it. It's written at a third grade level, Greek. Kids can be blessed with it. I know my own experience of John's gospel since I, from the time I went forward in a Billy Graham crusade and they gave me a gospel of John, to every single time I read it, I approach it with fear and trembling. Because as I start to read it, it starts reading me. It pulls me, it's words. If I don't fight it, if I just enjoy it, 
it pulls me into the narrative. And the narrative is this. Daniel Leonard Mickelson, I really like you. And once he pulls you into it, it's hard to get out. Let me out of here. This intimacy is too much. It's too beautiful. And church, I conclude this time in my introduction with this thought. Don't let anything mess with the intimacy. Satan is always looking for weakness. Satan is always looking to interject a lie. Hath God said? Satan is always interested in interjecting a bitterness between you and Jesus' intimacy. And when you turn to Jesus, John is obsessed with intimacy. Others say, I'm an apostle. John, four times. Man, I'm just the one he loved. Sorry, smitten by care. Edit that out, David. (laughs) Smitten by, smitten by compassion. Absolutely smitten by affection. I'm smitten by affection. I'm the one he loves. That's your right to declare too. Don't let any resentment, don't let any question, difficulty in your life get wedged in between you and intimacy with Jesus. Don't let any difficulty or bitterness or offense or hurt between you and another person Wedge its way way in between you and intimacy with Jesus. Guard it. Protect it. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it are the wellsprings of life. Please, church, respect. Respect what John's passion was in this 4.0. What's the word I want? I wrote it down. How come the Holy Spirit didn't give it back to me? I think the Holy Spirit is saying, I told you to be done now. 4.0 surround sound. (laughs) In summary. The word draws us to him like a magnet. The knowledge that he continually serves us and that we have revelation of him by serving others is a magnet that draws us to him. The Holy Ghost poured out on on us continually without measure because of the cross and blood of Jesus, not because we deserve it. The outpouring and flooding on us of the Spirit without measure, without limitations, draws us to him. It's his Spirit. And the call to be smitten by his affection draws us to him irresistibly. 
If I be lifted up, I'll draw people to me. Hallelujah. And so that's the introduction. We'll talk some more about this on another time. If you haven't got started with Jesus, he's knocking on the door of your heart. You just have to say, I I let you in. I'm opening the door. He doesn't want you to shout prayers through the keyhole of the door and shove money under the door. He wants you to open the door. May God grant grace for all of us to continually open the door. Thanks for being so listening today. You guys are wonderful to preach with. David. Thank you, Dad, for that great talk on intimacy with Jesus. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that everything that you spoke to us through that word will be impressed on our hearts. The enemy is not going to steal that seed and let it go with us throughout this week to draw us closer to you and to change our lives and to let us abide in you so we can produce much fruit and have much joy. Everyone here, in Jesus' name.